Well, welcome this morning. Thank you for the worship. Uh, I invite you to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'm excited about uh, what we're moving into and the material. We're going to be spending three Sundays on uh, this morning, including this morning, uh, on uh, Matthew 5.48, which is the climactic statement of Jesus uh, regarding uh, this last illustration. And, of course, obviously in the chapter, it's the last statement, moving then into chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is made up of chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we've been covering uh, this first chapter, which, of course, sets the foundation for the entirety of it. So I invite your attention. We'll begin reading again at verse 43. This is the sixth illustration uh, that he's given And you'll remember that all of the other illustrations, all five of the preceding illustrations, were uh, had a physical demonstration to them, and were attached to physical activity, such as the first one was do not murder, second one was do not commit adultery, a third one was on the divorce thing, fourth one was on oaths. All of those were physical activities. This last one, no physical activity. Talks strictly about motive, what's inside of you. What's coming out of you gives you no instruction on what to do in terms of action, but knowing only what you feel and what's going on inside of you in the inner heart, your inner motive. Here's what he says. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward of you do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect." Let's bow in prayer. What a challenge, Jesus. What an overwhelming challenge. And what we're asking for this morning is for clarity. Uh, What we want is more than anything else is to know your mind on the matter. We're not interested in argument. We're not interested in rationalization. We're not interested in covering our bases. We're not interested in covering for ourselves. We're not interested in making ourselves feel good. We're not interested in reducing guilt. What we're interested in is bold, actual mind of Christ. What do you think? What do you have to say to us? How does this challenge us? What is it you are trying to convey to us? We are open. We are listening. We are hungry. We are desiring. Thank you, Lord, for the possibility of hearing from you, from your word, in these moments. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, One more time, let me read verse 48 with you. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh, There's no way to walk out of that verse without knowing that the strength of the verse hangs on the idea of perfect. You walk away with the impact of the perfect idea. And the perfect, he obviously uses it twice in the verse, so it really stands out at you. Therefore, you shall be perfect. And, of course, I know absolutely nothing about perfection. The only thing I know about being perfect is the guy who says he is, isn't. (laughs) That's the only thing I know about perfect. (laughs) Because if he was perfect, he probably wouldn't say he was. 
So perfect is uh, just repulsive, actually. It's almost a negative term uh, in our language, and especially as it's connected to this verse. This is a total, absolute turnoff. This is, oh brother, this is, you gotta be, this gotta be idealistic. This is off the wall. This is radical. This is too far out. This is, this is out of it. Uh, perfect. The whole idea of perfect. But again, there's no way to deal with the issue of the verse without dealing with the idea of perfection. Because it is the strong, pivotal issue of the verse itself. You shall be perfect. So that has to be dealt with. And hey, what I'm interested in is not, uh, well, this is my opinion, not interested in that. I'm not interested in uh, even doing an argument over it's a poor translation. It is, by the way. Word perfect is a poor translation for us in our day. So I don't, I, I don't have any argument with that. But I'm not interested in just getting into that. I'm not interested in just changing the translation. I'm not interested in, what I'm really interested in is an openness and honesty to exactly what Jesus is saying. See, I'd like to go back and get into the sandals of the disciples and hear what they heard 2,000 years ago and what did it say to them? Not to me in my culture, not to me in my thought process, but to them in their culture, in their thought process. What did they hear? What did it mean to them? What was the challenge of Jesus? And I guarantee you, even then, it was radical. <laughs> it was off the wall. And we experienced that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in their reaction to it all. Now you'll note if you, if you really go after it, so that's what I'm after for you, is total openness, no argument, just hey, whatever this says. And that means if you're going to be totally honest, that if this requires change in life, so be it. If this means I've got to give up some traditions, so be it. Whatever shift this makes in my living, hey, I'm open to it because I really want to know what Jesus has to say in this passage. You will notice he begins with the word, therefore. It's a coordinating conjunction. It's the idea of a conclusion of a preceding or prior uh, discussion. Uh, and you know the old statement, Whenever you see the word therefore, you want to ask, wherefore is the word therefore, therefore? <laughs> so, why has he put it here? Well, he's concluding. Here's a summary. Here's a reaching back, grabbing a hold of what I've been discussing, bringing it all together for you. Here's the conclusion of the discussion we've been having. Now, you could argue that this is a conclusion of this last illustration, which is the sixth one. Love your enemy. I say to you, love your enemy. And all that he has to say about that. And that this is the conclusion of that, and indeed it is. But you could also argue that this is the conclusion of the entire chapter, and especially the six illustrations. In other words, he started with the idea of the formation of the kingdom, giving it to us in the Beatitudes. So in the Beatitudes, you have the basic structure of the kingdom of God. And again, the kingdom is not a location to go to. It is a relationship in intimacy with the person of Jesus. 
and it is my poorness in spirit. I'm absolutely poverty stricken, absolutely helpless. And in my helplessness, if I will embrace that, he will come in the fullness of his presence and merge with me. And in that merger, who I am and who he is, literally mixed, fused, coming together. Oh, I experience being a kingdom person. He is describing a Christian. That's a Christian. So a Christian is not one who has a belief system. The Christian is not one who does certain activities. The Christian is not one who participates in certain ceremonies. The Christian is one who has an intimate relational relationship with Jesus. A merger. Wouldn't it be something to actually have God move within your very being and envelop your mind and your inner heart and literally live in your inner spirit and literally be at the core of your life and literally source the way you think and you'd begin to feel like he feels and want what he wants. He describes that as a Christian. That's the new covenant that he's establishing. And as he moves in uh, from that, that formation of the kingdom, he moves us, of course, to the function of the kingdom, which he proceeds to talk about in terms of light. And he talks about it in terms of salt, salt and light, which is not a doing thing. It's a being thing, which is his emphasis. In other words, this is not an activity you're going to accomplish. This is a relationship, a state of being in which you're going to exist. And then he moves into this last section, which actually begins at verse 20, uh, actually begins at verse 17, which is the fulfillment of the kingdom. So it begins with the formation of the kingdom, what the shape of it is. It's this relational thing. The function of the kingdom, how it operates on the street. And then he moves into the fulfillment of the kingdom. And in the fulfillment of the kingdom, how it is literally going to be fulfilled in our lives, he gives us six illustrations. And then the climax of all of those illustrations or everything he said up to this point is this verse. Therefore, based upon this previous discussion about all that we've talked about, therefore, here's the conclusion. So this is the summary of all of it. Now, one thing that that brings you to is the idea that all six illustrations are the same. Which... We really basically already figured that out. He's only telling us one thing. And he illustrates it in six different ways, in six different arenas of our lives, touching six different activities that we are all involved in. And in touching all those, he brings us back to a basic premise, and all the, pre the premise for every single illustration is the same. That how am I to respond I'm to respond out of the merger. I'm to respond in not what I want. I'm to respond in not I'll do my own thing. I'm to respond in the merger, the intimacy, the oneness. I'm to respond out of that. It's oneness with him. And then he comes to this. Therefore, based on all of that, therefore, what's the conclusion? Well, you would be perfect. Now, it's really mind-boggling when he begins to talk to you about, well, okay, I'm going to be perfect. Perfect like what? Well, perfect like Stephen Manley. <laughs> That's a pretty low standard. Perfect, perfect by what standard? Perfect by the standard of our culture. Perfect by the standard of the church rules. Perfect by the... No, he says, perfect as your Father in heaven. <laughs> 
If perfect wasn't enough to be repulsive and say, oh brother, there's no way, get out of here, get, uh, leave this alone. If that isn't enough to do it, the word perfect itself, he attaches the word perfect to as your father. So the standard is God. You expect me to be like God. <laughs> I didn't write this. I didn't say this. This wasn't my deal. See, I'm trying to find out what he's saying. What is it? He's really saying, as your father in heaven. So there's no legal room on that. See, there's no, well, be perfect as your father is on the Sabbath day, on Sunday. Well, no, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's just as he is, I'm to be exactly as he is. Well, that's impossible. Well, maybe not. Maybe if you would stick with the passage... Maybe if you would stick with what he's talking about in the illustrations. For instance, if you expect me to be like God, I mean, God is omnipresent. Has he been talking about that? Well, no. God is everywhere at one time. And as far as I know, God is the only one that has that attribute. Angels don't have that attribute. The devil is not omnipresent. You're not going to be omnipresent. In heaven, you're not going to be omnipresent. God has never invited us to be omnipresent. He hasn't been discussing that. So if you think found in perfection is being everywhere at one time, obviously you don't understand what he's saying. Well, you expect me to know everything. Well, no, I, some of you think you do. But that's not what he's talking about. Knowing everything is not what he's talking about here. Well, God knows everything. I know that. But he's not been discussing that in any of the illustrations. See, that's not been the topic at all. He's never brought that up. It's not even in the... See, you've got to inject that in here. If you get it in here, that God is not... When he talks about being perfect as your father, he's not talking about in terms of knowledge. In fact, again, nobody knows everything except God. I got that. Angels don't know everything. The devil is second-guessing you at best because he doesn't know what you're going to do next. He's not all-knowing. Hey, you're not all-knowing. When you get to heaven, you won't be all-knowing. That's why we make mistakes because we're not all-knowing. So... Everybody makes mistakes. You say, well, I've got to be perfect. I can't make any mistakes. Well, obviously, he's not talking about that because he not, he's not talking about all-knowingness. Well, God is all-powerful. You think I ought to be? No, he hasn't been talking about that either, has he? He's not discussed the power of an almighty God. He's not discussing being on the level of God in terms of power. He's not, he's, in fact, he's done the very opposite of that. He's talked about our helplessness. We are poor in spirit. So he's talked about the very opposite of that. So if I have to be all powerful like God is and yet I'm total helpless, hey, there's not a chance. But he hasn't been discussing that issue. Isn't it amazing that the eternal Trinity God has literally cracked himself wide open and said, come on in here. Come on in here and join me. Not on the level of my godness in terms of being God, in terms of omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence. Not, not, come on, the thing I want to invite you to, I want to invite you into my heart. I want you to take on my nature. I'd like for you to think like I think. I'd like for you to feel like I feel. 
inwardly in the inner core of your life. I would like to so fill you. See, this is the premise of the whole Sermon on the Mount. So the perfection is a perfection not in activity. The perfection is not a perfection in knowledge. The perfection is not a perfection in never making mistake. The perfection is I have one single thing going on in my life and it is him. I am totally, absolutely in love with him. My total being is engulfed in him. I am literally merged with him. And how he feels is what I want to feel. What he thinks is what I I want all... I want, to, I want him to father me, birth me. Perfect as your father in heaven. God is holy. So this evidently is what holiness is all about. That holiness is his nature. It's how he feels. Wesley called this perfect love where the heart has only one motive, one drive. There's only one thing going on in my life. Be, therefore you shall be perfect. Now when you come to the actual word perfect there, uh, in both places, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The Greek word, of course, is teleos, T-E-L-E-I-O-S as we would spell it in the English. Teleos. So we got the English word, picture this, we got the English word perfect, we got the Greek word teleos, used several times in the New Testament. And we translated this Greek word teleos, we translated it perfect. Okay, if you go to the Old Testament, it's used several times in the Old Testament. In fact, if you go to the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was originally written in Hebrew, they translated it into Greek, you will find the word teleos used several times. So Old Testament teleos, New Testament teleos, English, perfect. But if you go back to the Old Testament and go to the Hebrew word that they translated perfect, teleos, that we translate perfect, it's the word tamin or tamin, T-A-M-I-N. It's an interesting word because it's used several times throughout the Old Testament. And they translate it again, teleos. So you got tamin and you got teleos and you got perfect. All three and an attempt to say one thing. One of the great places in the Old Testament where they translated tamin for teleos is in the Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 13. And the statement is this that's given in the English. You shall be perfect before the Lord your God. You shall be teleos perfect before the Lord your God. You shall be tamin before the Lord your God. Well what is he talking about? Well, if you get into the context of that passage, he's only talking about one thing. He's talking about pagan idols. He's talking to Israel about, hey, you guys keep wandering off. (laughs) You guys keep committing spiritual adultery. (laughs) See, you guys keep, hey, you keep mixing this thing. See, you guys, what, what I want out of you is, I want your heart totally set on me. 
See, I want you to believe in me and me alone. I don't want you to think, well, yeah, I'll pray to God. But wait a minute, just in case, I think I'll offer a little uh, incense to Baal. See, I don't want you messing with this thing. I don't want you acting like, well, yeah, I'll try. See, I want, your, I want you to realize Baal is nothing. Baal is empty. Baal has no authority. Baal is not God. That there's only one God and it's me. And I want you to look to me and to me and to me and to me and to me alone. I want no dividedness. I want no fickleness. I want no spread a little out. I want no, well, cover all your bases kind of stuff. I want you to jump in with all you are. And trust me and me, I want to be your God and your only God. I don't want you to trust yourself. I don't want you to trust your finances. I don't want you to trust your own ability. I don't want you to trust your own brain power. I want you to come and I don't want you into bail. I don't want you into the cultural business of your world. I want you into one single thing. I want your heart to be absolutely overwhelmed with me until your loyalty and your love and your trust and your expectation, everything that's going on in your life is back to me and me alone. Perfect. Complete. So, a better translation obviously would be the word complete. Therefore, you shall be complete. Absolutely in. Teleos. Whole. Entire. Whole focus. I want total abandonment of your life to me and me alone. I want you completely in. I want you to jump off the cliff. I want you just absolutely to let all your weight down. I want, how do you express this? I want all your eggs in one single basket. I want uncompromising, uncompromising devotion. I want one single focus, one drive in your life, one patient. I want everything in your life to come under the control of one single factor. And it would be me. I want you in absolute surrender to my life. But, see, that's the premise of the Sermon on the Mount. You're absolutely helpless. And in your helplessness, you give yourself to him and he comes and you merge. And in the merger, you and him, oh, he literally becomes the driving force at the core of your existence. Everything comes under his control. Nothing is done without him. Everything was, is under the influence of him. He's not a part of my life. He is my life. He isn't one section of what I think about. He is all I think about because he intertwines everything I think about. Well, there's other things in life besides God. No, there isn't. <laughs> there is not because everything comes under the auspices and the authority of his presence in my life and he is infiltrates and that's what he does in the illustrations he brings up the subject of you and me our relationship hey I'll just cut your head off kill you man he says you got to bring my relationship with your fellow man under the control of what the uh, of the God who now is the total focus of your life well, what about my wife? I just use her. No, you can't do that. What do you got to do? You got to bring your marriage under the auspices of the God who now is the center point of your life and, and, and your whole marriage and, and your sexual activity and your sexual view is all going to be dominated by how he feels and how he thinks and what he wants and 
You, there's a totality here. There's an absoluteness here. There's a, there's a get in or get out kind of deal going on here. There's a completeness. There's nothing like, uh, well, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll try Christianity and see how it works out. <laughs> see, there's none of that here. There's not, well, I've just been studying all the world religions and gleaning from everybody and, and pick up. No, no, there's none of that here. There is, and it's not, get this, it's not, it's not a participation in, 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 in theology. It's not a participation in, in, in data and information. It's not a, well, I'm giving my whole self to a theological belief. No, it's this person. It's this intimacy of the person himself. That you and Jesus get so tight that he becomes the driving force, the controlling element of the entirety of your existence. Complete. Absolutely complete. Now, just to give you a little background of my personal struggle with this whole thing is that, of course, I got, into, I got into Christianity, I got into saturation, into the scriptures and said, well, if I'm going to be all his, I'm going to have to know what he thinks. And how am I going to know what he thinks? Well, I'm going to have to come back to his book. This is, this is what he says. So here's his speaking. So I began to saturate in the word. And as I began to saturate in the word, one thing that just constantly comes up through the saturation in the word. Every passage comes back to this. I just, he just, he hounds this. It's this idea of completeness. This all outness. This get in or get out stuff. This, you can't try this. It's not, it's not, well, I'll put my toe in and see if it warms up. See, it's not this, it's jump in with all you got. It's this all outness in relationship to the person of Jesus. And everywhere I went in the scriptures, I found that. Of course, then in having a call to preach, what are you going to preach? Well, you've got to preach that. <laughs> and you know what it's like to stand in, in front of a congregation who has so many things going on in their lives and so many problems and who approach Christianity in terms of, well, I got this problem, so I, hey, I'll try Jesus and, and uh, I'll ask him and see if he comes through. If he doesn't, then I'll try something else. So you've got all of this and to stand in front of a crowd and say, hey, get in or get out. Flat on the floor, third gear, or, or jump out of the car, man. I mean, go with it or, or dump it. Don't mess with this. Do not mess with this. And do you know how radical that is? Off the wall that is? And they, they sit there and look at you like, what? So the, and yet I knew it was the truth. And yet to preach that, you know, you want to soften it and say, well, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you try Jesus? Why don't you, hey, he loves you and, and why don't you let him work in your life? And, and, and you know, you, you want to soften it to kind of ease people in. So I, I, I battled through that, all of that. And, and, and what helped me with that more than anything else is that I began to look around in my culture. And you know what I found? I found this same concept, forget Christianity, man. <laughs> Dump Christianity, eliminate Christianity from the discussion. Just go into your world and see if this, get in or get out, 100%, go for it. Or see, see if, you, if you pick up on that anyplace else. For instance, this actually happened, this is not a preacher story. I'm a ninth grader in high school, just came out of junior high. And I'm a ninth grader in high school. And there were 40 of us sitting on basketball bleachers in the gym. 
gym bleachers. And we're sitting in, in, in the bleachers waiting for our coach to appear. It's the first day of basketball practice and we all wanted to make the team. And here's what happened. The door opened up on the side. Coach walks in, pumps himself right in front of us, looks us right in the eye, and here are the first words out of his mouth of the first day of basketball practice. He said, this team will be number one in your life. Or there's the door. Now what was he saying? Your whole life will be dominated by this basketball team. Your thought process, your training, what you eat, when you go to bed, uh, your evenings. I want everybody here on the schedule, uh, at practice schedules. You're going to, this, this, this will be. Or there's the door. And you want me on the eternal issues of your damnation? You want me on the issue of life and death, heaven and hell? To stand up here and say, well, yeah, just come to church a little more. Just try Jesus a little. (laughs) When basketball demands more than he does? Come on, if basketball for a ninth grader can dominate, can say, hey, man, my face doesn't get a bit red on this one. The Jesus who died for you, who has only good for you, who has destiny for you, your creator, the one who has invested his entire being into you. Do I have a problem looking you in the eye and say, hey, he demands the same kind of a commitment to him that he has for you. Uh, I was never in the army, but I've seen TV. <laughs> Here's the Marine thing. See, you don't, my concept of it is, you don't go to the Marines and say, you know, I'd like to try it out. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, boot camp, there's going to be somebody in your face saying, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Discouraging you, doing everything they can to put you down and work you in pain and ag- you're, And you're going to have to be all out, 100%. morning, night, evening, I mean, your whole marine. We got married and I turned to my wife and said, hey, I love you. You're you're just really special. But there's some other women I really care about too. I found myself out on my ear, brother. (laughs) That was a made-up story, but it would, I can imagine it happening. <laughs> Why? She ain't going to put up with that. And, and you want me to, to have red face and say, well, really, the Jesus thing, yeah, I know, there's other things in life, but you need to give more time to Christ. You, what, are, what are you talking about? This is get in or get out. This is all or nothing. This is, hey, absolute, or it's not. This is perfect, complete, whole one allegiance give my whole self to one thing that, that's, that's what he's talking about in the passage and again when you look at the six illustrations they all climax into this one thing they climax here 
in this. Everything about it is, oh, I'm, uh, uh, he has literally come and engulfed my nature. He has literally come and, and merged with me. And, and my whole life is somehow infiltrated. And yeah, this is, this is my, the way I feel and the anger level of my life and, 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 and my sexuality and my, my honesty and integrity and, and the fairness of my life and the way I view things is all under the domination of this, of this merger where, oh, Oh, he's my life. This is all out. This is all in. So I, pr- I propose to you that what he's saying is, guys, this new covenant that we're, wor- that, that we're moving into, this new covenant, the only way it works, the only possibility you've got is totality, completeness, absolute Abandonment, surrender, lordship. It's the only possibility you got for it working. Now, as you look at the passage again, verse 48, you see this in the verb. Therefore, you shall be perfect. And that's an awful translation, uh, no doubt, because it indicates its future. You shall be Now, I could argue, of course, that he's talking to his disciples who haven't moved into the fullness of the Spirit and that he's talking about Pentecost that's going to come and when the Pentecost comes and the Spirit actually fills you and you move into this, that it will be in the future. But it's not right now. But it's not really... When you look at the verb, it's it's in the future. No question about that. It is in the future. The verb is in the future. And it's in, in the indicative. But when you put those two together, it becomes an imperative. Which means that this is not future intense. And Wayne and I have talked a lot about this. And and he has the insight, of course, that we do a lot with the tone idea. See? Uh, And you you find that, that interpretation in light of that here. And I'll let him explain that to you. But therefore, you shall be... Which really means then if it's an imperative, you must be. Not you shall be in terms of future, but hey, you, you, you gotta be. This, this is the only way this works. You must, you must be. Which is a present tense, experience it now, right here where we are, all out, jump in with both feet, you must be in this state and it's the future indicative of a me e-i-m-i which is the i am term which is a state of being which makes it all the more significant because what he's really saying is you must be in this state of existence (laughs) which is not you must do this thing no you must be this this is what you must be so it's a being condition which is phenomenal. So, I'm proposing to you that the climax of everything he's saying in all six of these illustrations brings us back to this idea of completeness and wholeness and totally in and absolutely his and one, one deal going on and one love in my heart and one passion in my burn for one thing and there's one controlling element in my entire existence and it's him. And that's what he's proposing. 
And he calls that in this translation perfect or complete. Now you say, okay, well, good for us. Uh, what about it? Uh, how do you understand the play out of that whole thing? And I want to give you some handles on this. And I want to give you, uh, just give you some ideas. Number one, there isn't any question at all that he's taking this statement and he's placing it in a context. And the context in which he places it gives you the additional information, the, uh, the, uh, the insight, the clarity you need to understand exactly what he's talking about. Now, the first part of the context is, we're calling it the communication of life. Because it's Jesus. He started out by saying, what I'm going to do, here's the idea. What I'm going to do is, I'm going to take this whole idea of completeness and being all in and being 100% his and, and being merged with him and merged in his being and meshed with him and fusion taking place in your life and you and him just, just coming together until your life operates within the auspices of his being. I want to take that and I want to give you an example of it. And what is the example? Jesus. <laughs> he was the first one to have this. So when Jesus says, be ye therefore perfect, he's talking about himself. Be like me. Be exactly like me. Now you'll notice, and we've gone over this before, but uh, in this context it needs to be again. You'll notice he starts every one of these illustrations in terms of a contrast, obviously. He's contrasting the old with this new covenant. The old covenant, the new covenant. The old tradition with this new kingdom thing that he has come to establish and bring to our lives. In fact, he says, verse 43, you have heard that it was said. Now he uses that phraseology quite a bit. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said. Verse 31, furthermore, it has been said. So he changes it a little. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said to those of old. So he uses that language, changes it a little bit, but uses that language. But then when he comes to say, that's the old, let me give you the new. He uses the same language every single time. No variance. And what is the language? But I say to you. Never varies it. In other words, the authority which backs this up and makes it reality is what? Me, Jesus says. I say this to you. Now it's really strong as you'll remember because uh, I say is a translation of lego, which is one Greek word, and the I is at the end of the verb. But he puts the word ego, so it's but ego lego. In other words, I, I say to you. So it's there twice, which is the heavy emphasis of it. So the emphasis of the passage is, Jesus says, I am the example of this. So if you want to know what I'm talking about when I talk about be complete, be all out, be 100%, jump in with both feet. Hey, Jesus says, look at me. 
Now, you understand that when we say Jesus is basing this on his, himself, we're not talking about the fact that he's basing it on his godness. He is God. I got that. Second member of the Trinity leaped off his throne and became man. But he became a helpless man. And we've gone over this so much we don't need to go into detail. But he became a helpless man. So he's not, he's not walking around out of his godness. He's walking around out of his helplessness that's been filled with God. So he's the first one to be the kingdom person. In other words, a helpless man, which is you, filled with the dynamic of God in your life is exactly what Jesus was. He had no advantage over you. So everything that you face, he faced. Every, only, only the resource you have available to you is what he had available to him. And so he, in his helplessness, embraced that. Total helplessness. Embraced that. And yielded himself to his father. And intimacy with his father. A life was produced that, we, that is called Jesus. And Jesus says, guys... Here's what it looks like. <laughs> here's, here's, what, here's what completeness looks like. If a guy is all in, here, here's what it looks like. Here, here's where it goes. Here's how it smells. Here's the texture of it. In fact, Paul in uh, Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible father. So Jesus in his helplessness was so filled with the Father and was so dominated by the Father and so infiltrated with the Father and so thought like the Father and felt like the Father and was so sourced by the Father. <laughs> he was the Father. No, no, he wasn't the Father. He was the platform upon the, for the expression of the Father. He was a son which is exactly what he talks about in the, I want you to be sons. Not robots, sons. Where you have the very nature of the Father within you. And in that nature of the Father within you, this, this, oh, but you can't have that. If there isn't totality, if there isn't all in, if there isn't 100%, if there isn't, see, you can't do the mixture thing. You, got, you can't know if you're, if you're going to be, if you're going to have this. In other words, Jesus is the prototype of what this whole kingdom person looks like. Do you realize what this does to Christ's likeness? Oh, to be like you, we sing. Christ's likeness. Be like Christ. You know, we did the WWJD thing. What would, what would Jesus do? Well, I want to be like him. Do you realize what this does to that? This takes that thing to a whole new level. So Christ, being like Christ is not an imitating of what Christ was. Or Jesus did this, so well, I'll try to do it. That, see, that's not, none of that is in this passage. See, in this passage is, there is an agreement. There is a oneness. There is a completeness. There is a, Jesus has jumped in with both feet. Jesus is all out. Jesus burns for the Father. What was it that was going on in the life of Jesus that wasn't under the control of the Father? What burned in the heart of Jesus that didn't burn in the heart of the Father? What activity did Jesus participate in that wasn't the activity and the expression of the Father? Even the chaos of his life was the destiny of the Father. 
Wouldn't it be something with, if every problem I had in my life was a destiny of the plan of God? <laughs> if that were true, you probably could say all things work together for good. <laughs> see. But see, hey, don't even dream about this. Don't even say, well, that'd be nice. Don't, don't even consider it if you're not all in. <laughs> See, this, this takes an all-inness. This takes a totality. This takes an uncompromising. This takes jump in with both feet. This takes a absolute abandonment. This takes, whoo, nothing else is going on in my life. This takes an overwhelming love, passion for Jesus until you just are all wrapped up in Jesus. This takes, hey... This ball team will be number one in your life or there's the door. <laughs> See, that's what this takes. And it's found in this life of Jesus. So the first handle I'm giving you is this communication of life, which is Jesus. Now the second handle I want to give you is the, uh, is the completion of the law, which is fulfillment. Because you realize in our passage, the whole flow of the chapter is about the fulfillment of the law. See, all of this, these six illustrations spring out of verse 17. Jesus came to this crowd and uh, Jesus was so radical. Jesus was doing things that were breaking the, the traditional oral traditions of the uh, of, of Israel he was uh, doing some healing on the Sabbath day and that was out of base he was doing all this stuff and uh, so they figured that obviously Jesus is dumping the Old Testament and the law of God and starting something new so he begins in verse 17 do not think I came to destroy the law of the prophets I did not come to destroy but to fulfill so evidently if this whole thing is about the fulfillment of the law, this is not, oh, God's law. Let's do a new thing. Give me freedom. Get me out from under the law. Evidently, that's not what's going on here. Evidently, he's taking all that's in the heart of God that is put in the law and drawing it into a new flavor. And the new flavor is going to be found in what? In this all out, in this Whew, I'm in love with Jesus in this. I love him so much, I'd rather die than hurt him. There's this passion in your being that you just... Think about that. That would fulfill... If you love Jesus so much that you'd rather die than hurt him, sin would be out of the question. <laughs> well, yeah, I have to bite my lip to keep, to keep from cheating on my wife every day. It's just awful. Just, well, no. Why? Because I love my wife and I'd rather die than hurt her. What are you talking about? See, I didn't. See, there's something wrong with, yeah, I just have to. There's something wrong with that. See, what he's calling us to is such an intimate relationship with him that, oh, I love him so much and I'm so completely his and, and he has so captured me and, and he has so influenced me that my life is so under his control and, 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 and living in him is, so, is such peace and fulfillment that, man, I'd rather die than I'd rather, ah, there, there's just, wow, I, I want him. I want him. And the whole law of God becomes fulfilled in that. 
he says. Isn't that phenomenal? Uh, you know that there were so many oral traditions and so many, uh, uh, so many rules that they had had established and applications of all of this that, that uh, they couldn't keep them all. So the big argument during Jesus' day is which were the most important ones. Because they had so many, they had to prioritize. So, if you're going to stand up in front of a group of teenagers, for instance, you've got a chance to talk to 50 teenagers. What are you going to talk to them about? What's the most important thing? Their sexuality? Could be. Uh, drug addictions? Their addictions of their lives? Is that the most important? Uh, what, what are you going to talk about? Their health? What, what are you going to talk to them about? What's the most important thing that you're going to lay out for them? So, you've got to prioritize. So, they were arguing about that all the time. What's the most important? And you know, in Matthew chapter 22, uh, they, ga they gang together and got this one guy. Matthew calls him lawyer. Now, Matthew never uses the word lawyer any place in his book outside of there. <laughs> it's always scribe. So, this probably was a scribe. But he emphasizes the idea of lawyer. Why? He's skilled in debate. See, he's a good in argument. He just, he, he's just, he can take words and he's, he's, he's the top, this is his, he's tops in his field. So they turned him loose on Jesus. Said, go after him. And what's the big question? Which is the great commandment? That's the big question. And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is so smooth. He just looks at him and says, uh, hey, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Well, he nailed him because that was a common quotation they started their services with that quotation <laughs> so come on duh which is the great command duh love why because it fulfills so if you would go all out if you jump in with both feet if you'd fall in love with Jesus if Jesus would come to the top priority of your life if you would come under the influence of his personhood if you in your helplessness would be merged with him and you would just embrace him and love him. If you would just acknowledge, if you would just experience the forgiveness of his grace, if you would just let the peace of his presence, if you would just be enveloped by who he is and love him with your whole being, <laughs> you wouldn't have to worry about killing people. See, it fulfills. It brings it all together. And Paul, of course, picked up on this in Romans 13, 10. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So, see, we're back to this, this, this all out, this 100%, this, whoo, I love you so much, I'd rather die than hurt you. It's, it's, I'm all in, Jesus. I love you with my whole being. This, this no dividedness in the heart. You, it, it isn't a little bail and a little, this is, I, just, this is completeness. This is, this is total focus. This is my whole life. Yeah, I got a lot of things going on in my life. I've got physical activities. I got a job. I got money. I got finances. But they all come under and you infiltrate every single one of them 
and nothing is out you're involved in every single you're, the, you're not one section over here you literally infiltrate the entirety of my life and my whole life is under the influence of your being what would that look like? Jesus he was the first one <laughs> what would it look like? the whole law fulfilled Let me just mention the last one, the third one. Consuming love, it's I am. See, if you look at this and say, well, okay, um, how do I do that? <laughs> oh my, you just, you just, you haven't been listening, have you? <laughs> See, you just ruined it. The minute you say, how do I do that? You've made it a doing thing. And this is not a doing thing. And of course we got into that in the, in the fifth illustration. Uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then he goes on and says, I say to you, turn the other cheek. Well, how many times do I have to turn the other cheek? Go the second mile. Well, how many miles do I have to go until I can finally drop their stinking packages and tell them all? Well, see the very idea that you think that says you didn't get this. You, you don't, see love doesn't think in, okay, how, many, how long do I have to put up with it? See, love doesn't think in those terms. See, love, love consumes, love, love has passion, love, and it, so this is a, again, not a doing thing, but a state in which you, it's the merger that he's talking about, the, the existence, Christianity is not, well, this, these are the activities of Christianity, and you, if you do that, you aren't a Christian. See, he's not discussing that, he's discussing that this, this heart of yours, this core being of yours, in its helplessness, is now being embraced with the wonder of Jesus. And Jesus himself, oh, you know him. You're intimate with him. You love him with your whole being. Your whole being has literally become overwhelmed with him. And he's not one section of your life. He's infiltrated. All your life has come under the influence of his being. This is totality. This is, this is focus. This is, this is a total abandonment. This is 100%. This is all in. This is, hey, get in or get out forevermore. Quit messing. This is, this ball team will be number one in your life or there's a door. <laughs> Is he worthy of that? In fact, ladies and gentlemen, it is an absolute embarrassment if I do any less than that. Oh, Jesus. When I take my, my life and my, my commitment and my, and I compare it to your commitment to me, Whew, I'm embarrassed. Some of us pride ourselves in our honesty and our integrity and in paying our bills. Maybe I ought to stomp up to you with my checkbook and pay you off. No wonder I'm helpless. No wonder I'm poor in spirit. For there's no way to pay you off. There's no way to calculate my obligation. There's no way, there's no way to put into value how, how 
significant you are and how much you've poured into my life and how far you've gone with this whole deal that before the foundation of the world you were, you were forming my being and dying for me and this whole deal of redemption and all that oh, how could I ever come up with the fact that you're mad at me or you want to punish me my heart leaps today with completeness. All my strength. Love you with all my strength. All my heart. All my soul. And all my might. Let my whole being. Be in. Pull me into the essence of all that you are. Break down every wall in my life God. And whatever has to change in me. Come on Jesus. Whatever has to change in me. Don't let me get by man. Nail me. Whatever's not pleasing to you, whatever doesn't line up with this love, this passion, this I'm all in. Whatever doesn't fit. Work on me. And we declare in the close of this service... You are our passion. You are our burn. Our bones burn for you. You're the love of our life. You're the delight of our being. You're the sunlight in us. We have no one and nothing outside of you. I love you, Jesus, with my whole being. Thank you for our time together in the Word. As we yield ourselves to you. May it be get in or get out. Kind of stuff for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well thank you folks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we do have a small gathering here in the sanctuary. And for those that are online. appreciate you. And uh, we, uh, I don't know what, where we're going with this, but we'll just keep at this. We'll be here Wednesday night and next Sunday morning as far as I know. And maybe things will change soon, which will be a delight, but we'll see.